Brian Asif, how's it be, bro? Scott Perkins, how the heck are you? Oh, I'm sweating. It's hot today. <laughs> yes, it is. So, let's get started. I'm Brian. I'm Scott. And welcome to the new and improved Wide Open Podcast. So, if you're listening to this, you've made the extremely poor decision to listen to a couple of chuckleheads talking about off-road racing in District 37. Um. I was doing this podcast for, uh, you know, off and on uh, for the past couple of years by myself. Uh, and uh, I've been getting a lot of grief from uh, a lot of different people that uh, we need to start doing it again. And I felt like I wasn't uh, doing right by the podcast or the people that listen to it by doing it by myself. So I reached out to Scott and Scott uh, was gracious enough to agree to be the co-host of the new and improved Wide Open Podcast. Uh, it's our plan to, uh, to do for now to do a bi-weekly podcast. Um, this will be the, the first and hopefully the only one that we do just the two of us, uh, from this point moving forward, uh, every other week, we intend to bring, uh, a guest, uh, onto the podcast. Uh, we're hoping that those guests can be someone that uh, either came from district 37, uh, races in district 37 or someone that's somehow supports district 37. Um, and we'll make all of you wait until the end of the podcast, uh, before we announce who our first, uh, first guest is going to be, uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, uh, moving forward, Scott, uh, for those that don't know who you are, uh, tell everybody who you are. Well, it was really easy, maybe too easy for you to talk me into doing this with you. I should have, I should have or something. It's too late now. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know who I am, I do for 37 Euros, um, Big Six, NGPC, and I'm also the team manager for the JSB Cannon Chittister Transport Race Team. So I'm the one that you see on those Wednesday Night Live Instagrams before the GP races. So if that helps you figure out who I am, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, and, and if uh, if you see anything that's on a anything that's a post from a District Thirty Seven social media site, uh, that's Scott doing those uh, the posts. Uh, Scott lives and breathes uh, off road racing, uh, West Coast off road racing. Uh, if you at, if uh, you want to know who raced when and where and how they did and how many racers were at a race, uh, Scott's the guy. He really has his finger on the pulse of what's happening on West Coast racing, and. I think uh, probably together, the two of us, uh, we probably have got the inside scoop on just about anything and everything that's happening on the West Coast uh, when it comes to off-road racing. So yeah. that's, that's kind of sad, actually, just, just <laughs> to show you how much, how much yeah. time I spend on Instagram and Facebook and websites on a daily. <laughs> yeah, we need a freaking life. It's probably so, why I'm blind now. <laughs> I mean, and I, and I, uh, and I'll admit, and I'm proud, and I'm proud of it. I'm not even, I'm not on Facebook anymore. So I think it's probably one of the best things I ever did, but I am on Instagram a little bit. So I, I check that stuff out. So we, uh, Scott and I kind of went, uh, kind of talked about some things that we thought we should touch on for tonight. So we're going to roll right into it. Uh, so, uh, uh, last weekend was uh, hundreds, uh, hundreds MC Sprint Enduro, and that uh, that capped uh, the first half of the year. We've rolled into the summer break. Lots of racing has happened uh, since uh, the beginning of January. 
until last weekend. Uh, and we wanted to kind of touch on uh, the hits and misses uh, leading up to this point. Uh, so I've raced uh, a whole bunch, not as much as I, uh, as I'd hoped to, I was, you know, every year, I think as a racer and probably a lot of you can relate to this, um, you approach every year with the uh, high hopes of trying to chase a low number or, or chase a number one or whatever your, your ambitions are for the year. And then life gets in the way or things happen and, and you kind of get derailed, uh, which is, has been the case for me. I haven't been able to race as much as I wanted to. Um, but I have been at just about, uh, every race, uh, and Scott the same. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that we thought, uh, were, were really positives, uh, for racing, uh, in district 37. Uh, so I'll just, I'm going to jump off from my perspective, like kicking off the year. I thought that what checkers did with the opening round of the Heron Hound series was absolutely amazing. Uh, I mean, you and I both know how difficult it is to reach out and get people to be involved in what it is you're doing with a race. And they really thought outside of the box, got Fast House to come in and be, uh, you know, be a sponsor of their event. They went above and beyond with the promotion. And Scott, just tell everybody a little bit about how difficult it is sometimes to try and get clubs to give you information so that you can promote their race. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely gotten better. Um, you know, each of the clubs should really have, you know, one person that's on work weekend that's just taken nothing but pictures so we can use that to, to post. And, and I get it. A lot of the clubs are, you know, undermanned at sometimes and, and don't have enough people to do the things they do. And it's somewhat new for them over the last couple of years. So it's, it's easy to forget, <laughs> but for the most part, they've, they've all done a pretty good job and it, it's important for for us as a district and clubs to, you know, give you a preview of, you know, what, what, what you can expect. I mean, what am I getting into when I come here, especially for somebody who's new, who's never even raced one of our races. Yeah, for sure. And I know that, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the checkers race going in, you know, being the first race of the year and then the kickoff of the Heron Hound series that we've been working pretty hard to try and promote. Um, it was really important to get a lot of, a lot of media out on that race because there was a lot of interest from people who were not familiar with what it is we do. They'd heard about Heron Hounds. Um, Fast House has a, has a unique uh, vibe about it. So there were people that were interested in coming to that. Um, and, you know, just to kind of talk uh, you know, on the side about that whole Heron Hound series and the clubs that are involved. Um, they all agreed a couple of years ago that we, we kind of got together, had some discussions about uh, the possibility of, putting together a small district series of Heron hounds that you could race locally. Uh, and, you know, they, the clubs all agreed uh, that they were going to try and do something similar from race to race in terms of the level of difficulty of the races. So that if, when a rider came to one, um, he knew what it was going to be. And I had encouraged those clubs to, to, Hey, if you want to make this the hardest thing that you've ever raced, then all of you do that. And if you want to do something different, then all of you do that. And I think that the clubs have been really good uh, in terms of uh, maintaining some consistency with the level of difficulty from round to round. And, and I think it's really shown uh, with, uh, you know, with the entries that they've managed to maintain from race to race. Uh, you, you typically see 
a drop off after the first couple rounds, which was not the case with this series until the last race with the with Rovers and Invaders. And uh, I don't know what 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 do you attribute that to, Scott? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's it's the end, right? It's it's the last race of the series. It's right before the summer break. I think that probably has a lot to do with it. I don't know that it has anything to do with how it's set up. I mean, those those Hair and Hound clubs have done a great job with with putting those those layouts of courses together and and trying to attract people. I think I think there's just you know it's the thing that's always tough for us, Brian, is you know we're not the only show in town, and you know this isn't you know this isn't the seven thirty seven one. There was. And and now there is so people are picking and choosing and sometimes, you know, as you as you know, it's almost impossible to put on a race on somebody else isn't putting one on somewhere else. And I think at that point, people just they choose. And, yeah, and, yeah, for and, sure. And I think I think when you when you think about that and people are choosing because there's two or three different options on on that weekend, that's how important it is for you to put on, you know, a quality event, a well-organized and run event. Um, and your promotion is, is really high for it because you got to make yourself visible and you got to make yourself the place to be. And that's why, you know, over the last, you know, 10 years or eight years, the, the media stuff has been so important for us as a district. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's uh it was uh, something that you and I had talked about uh, before I became president. I thought it was something that was really important uh, that we kind of needed to head in a different direction with how it was that we were trying to promote. Um, so let's touch on that for a second. Uh, you know, I get a lot of questions or not, not a bunch of questions, but I have had some questions uh, from people about why do they not receive a paper newsletter in the mail anymore? And so let's just talk about, the, you know, the kind of behind the scenes stuff with the newsletter and how the, how the newsletter worked. So the newsletter, the way a newsletter would get sent out is we had somebody who was a, the editor of the newsletter, you know, and you know, his position was just like every other position in district. It's a volunteer position. You're, you're agreeing to dedicate a certain amount of your time uh, to give back to the ridership. Now that newsletter, the way we knew how to send it to uh, somebody was that we would take the membership list uh, from everybody who had purchased the District 37 card, whether it was Desert or Grand Prix or Endure or whatever. And when you purchase a, a District 37 card, we have your address. And so those were the people that we were sending a, a newsletter to. So basically, we were promoting our races to, to people who were coming to our races. Uh, we weren't really expanding the footprint of what District 37 was doing. Uh, so we talked about that a lot uh, before... Uh, before I became president and over the you know first two years or so we gradually phased out the the paper newsletter and put more of our focus on on a digital footprint of how to promote what clubs were doing within district 37 to people who might not necessarily know what district 37 was which is you know where you know where all the heavy lifting came on your end so Scott uh, so how many different uh, social media pages do we have so we've got uh, one, two, three. So we've got we've got the District Thirty Seven page, we've got the District Thirty Seven Sprint Enduro page, 
and then we have the NGPC Big Six page. So we've got three pages. And that's not including Facebook, right? No, that's just Instagram. And then each one of those has a Facebook page as well. And then there is also a Youth District 37 Facebook page as well. And how, what's the outreach on that? I mean, how many people are reaching on those ones? So we've got the Sprint Enduro one's new. Um, I, it's at a couple thousand right now, which is, which is good for how, how new it is. The District 37 page is almost at 11,000 followers, and uh, the NGPC Big Six page is over 15 now. So it's, you know, it's, it's getting there. I mean, and, you know, I'm happy to say for us as an organization, those are, those are all homegrown followers. That's not me sending out something to some company to try to get all these followers so we can be at 60,000. I mean, these are people that truly follow us as a as an organization or as a different series. Yeah, and I can tell and I can tell you that the amount of followers that we have on those pages exceeds the amount of district cards that we have sold. So we're reaching out to people who maybe they're coming and uh, pie plating a race here and there, but whatever we're doing is reaching out. You know, it's getting to other people, and so that you know, that's why it's so important that. Whatever it is that you're posting, whatever clubs are giving you, whatever race is coming up, if it looks interesting, we're still reaching out to people who haven't 100% decided whether they want to be a district member. And they may come to your race. It may, you know, there may be something about your race or a club's race that looks interesting to somebody, and they're going to come just because. So you know, that's why you know, we have the different pages and the different formats. Um, you know, we have... Uh, you know, so on top of the Heron Hounds, we've got the, you know, the Sprint Enduros. Uh, and yeah, I feel, I, I feel, uh, I'm positive about where the Sprint Enduros are now, but I feel bad for the clubs that uh, agreed, uh, that got together and agreed to put on that format of racing. Um, I had someone tell me after the first race of this year for the Sprint Enduros um, that, hey, you know what, I don't think this format of racing is a viable a form of racing and, and we should probably start thinking about not doing them. And I think that was probably an unfair judgment of the sprint enduros. So, you know, when you talk about the sprint enduros, you know, year one, we didn't have any idea what we were doing, uh, what a sprint enduro should look like. I think every club that agreed to participate in that series kind of had a different idea of what they should be. And we were very upfront with the ridership, uh, on, on the fact that we didn't have a clue what we were doing, uh, that there was just kind of this rough idea of a format and each club was kind of, kind of thought it should be a little different. And so that's what they did. And we were asking for feedback from, from the ridership, uh, after every race so that we could kind of find our legs. Uh, so after the first year, the clubs had kind of agreed what they thought those races should be. We got into the first race of 2019 or 2020. And right after the first race, COVID hit and it just it threw everything out of kilter. So really, I look at uh, at 2021 like it's been the first year that we've really had an opportunity to put on races uh, with the feedback that we've gotten from the ridership. Now, having said that, um, I've raced uh, all the sprint enduros. And for me personally, 
I loved every one of them. I loved every special of every race that was put on by every club. But I do know that uh, I have heard some rumblings from some people that maybe some of the specials, uh, like the third special, might have been a little too more difficult or might have been a little too difficult, a little more enduro than sprint. And and the clubs have heard that as well. And so they they're taking that uh, you know, into consideration when they're talking about what they're going to do for the following year. Uh, so it's not like they're just uh, turning a blind eye to it. No, I think I think it's important for for people to to realize that how hard it is to start something like that. I mean, just because we're successful at other things, you know, a scramble series or a hare and hound series, you know, doesn't mean that we just go, yeah, let's do this, and it just works. And so I think, you know, this the first couple of years is is a growing experience and a learning experience. And I think the clubs have done, done a good job of that. I mean, I wouldn't say that at times, I don't think that, you know, some of the, some of the layouts of the tests are, are really not what a sprint enduro is. Um, And I think sometimes, you know, some of the clubs get, you know, stuck on that format of, you know, what they do for a desert race and they just kind of do it the same and it, and it's not the same, but, but they're learning that. And, you know, it's important for everybody to understand that we need your help. We're, we're not the experts here. And, and every bit of feedback that we get from everybody is considered. It's not necessarily always used, but it's considered and sometimes those ideas we get from the ridership are the ones that get implemented and make the series better. So, you know, for you guys listening, man, you know, send us a message, you know, send it off of the, off of the website to your, to your referee, your, you know, your class referee or send it, send it on, you know, the social media sites we have or the emails and so forth and, and give us your feedback. Because one, we want it, and two, yeah, we need it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's a, you know, it's we only hear sometimes, uh, you know, the negatives. Oh, you know, this uh, this special was too hard, or that special was too hard, or whatever. But um, I got to tell you, I mean, I I raced uh, hundreds last weekend, and that first special that they had was by far probably probably the best thing I've ridden all year and everybody I talked to, if they rode that all day long, they would have been stoked. So you got to recognize the hits along with the misses. And, and for me, I, I, you know, I think everybody looks at it from a different perspective. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword when you're talking about laying out loops and who's riding them. So I've heard, on one side, if we go back to hair and hounds, I've heard on one side with hair and hounds that clubs will lay out a hair and hound, and they don't have uh, they don't have anybody at an expert level riding uh, their loops to make sure that the, that it flows and that it's marked properly, and so so then that's it. So they're like, oh yeah, that's a that's a negative against the hair and hound, and then you go to the sprint and duros, and clearly like the third loop or the third test of the hundreds. And the third uh, test of DMC was laid out by an expert rider. And so it really catered towards expert riders. Uh, but so, you know, it's like you, 
you know, you complain that you don't have expert writers doing one thing. And then you complain that, Oh, you've only got expert writers laying something else out. It's a really tough mix for, for clubs to figure out where that happy medium is. Um, I, I thought it was awesome. Uh, you know, I did hear a couple of people say that it was too hard, but then it was hot. It was a hundred degrees. So, you know, who knows? All I know is somebody went out and spent the time to lay it out and, and that, that right there, is, you know, means everything. Yeah. And, and I think most people know this. I mean, they're, you know, everything that a club does is volunteer. I mean, these are guys that have regular jobs, regular nine to five jobs. And these guys are taking time off to go spend it in the desert, laying stuff out months in advance. And, you know, it, it goes to show you, look, if you're not in a club, join a club because the more people that are in these clubs, the better these races will get because they have, you know, more, more people to do the things they need to do. Not to mention, I mean, being in a club, it, it's a cool thing, man. There's, it's a oh, family, sure. you know, and there's a lot of things that go on within the club. And, you know, those guys are there to help you when, when you're at the races, nobody leaves until you're everybody's back you know it's 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 something that everyone should at least think about doing yeah for sure and uh and we're going to touch on that whole club thing a little bit later uh in the podcast uh so let's uh let's talk about uh ngpc so i other than carrying all lisa's stuff to a race i'm i'm a little <laughs> detached from what happens at those races and where the ridership is and how it compares to, to what other series are doing and what, uh, what's in the, what's in store for the future. So I'm going to, I'm going to be a, a, a listener of this podcast, just like everybody else. And let Scott tell us what the heck's going on with it. Uh, hey, that, that big six NGPC series has, has come a long way. Um, you know, they've come from, 2013 where you know the highs for entries were you know high 600s to 700 to now you know this year they're averaging 1650 entries wow um you know and and all of that is all that all stems from those eight clubs you know it it took a lot of effort from those eight clubs to come together and, and realize that, you know, if we work together and we think about what we're trying to do here, then things will get better and they've worked their butts off and, and, and it's, and it's obvious, right? I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't a single club that was over a thousand entries period for ever. And I think the first year it happened was, uh, was 14 towards the end of 14 and now everybody's over a thousand and you know they've they've worked hard they've gotten the sponsors to help them move that along they've all worked together um and you saw this you know when when socal did um the atalanta grand prix i mean everybody realized that, Hey, this is the start of the season, get everybody excited. And then everybody builds off of that excitement and, you know, starting that race and having that race certainly helped build 
that series over the last five years to where it's at. You know, and those guys, those guys put a lot of effort into that. I mean, I don't, I know we say this and you see this in, you know, Instagram or chat rooms or whatever, but there's a lot of work that goes into this thing, into each one of those races. And, you know, everybody thinks that because it's so big that, you know, it's just a giant money-making machine. And I, I can tell you every club would attest that it's not because the costs to put it on are huge. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a labor of love uh, for sure. Uh, You know, I, uh, you know, I can talk a little bit about, you know, what it was like, uh, you know, putting to, you know, putting together the Atlanta Grand Prix, uh, you know, and when we, when SoCal first started doing it and it was, uh, it was a tremendous undertaking and it's, uh, you know, we thought at the time, oh, we're the only ones that are putting in this kind of work uh, to make a race happen. And maybe we put in a little more just to get the race off the ground. Uh, but, you know, being able to look and see what it is that other clubs have to do uh, to put on their races. Yeah. You know, we, I don't know that we did any more or any less uh, than most of the clubs that are, that participate, uh, you know, in big six, it's a tremendous amount of work and you know, each club has a different deal uh, with whatever venue they're at uh, that presents its own problems. Uh, Adelano has its own set of challenges uh, just like Prim does uh, for Shamrocks and uh, just like Ridgecrest does for Viewfinders and, you know, and, you know, Glen Helen for Prairie Dogs and so on and so forth. So it's every club has their own, their own obstacles that they have to overcome to be able to put on, you know, a successful event. Uh, but it's a, you know, it's, it's all of those volunteers that are, you know, of those clubs that are working really hard to make sure that they're putting on a quality event for the, for the riders. And, I mean, shoot, what did Prairie Dogs have this year? Like 2,300 people? 2,306. So that's the highest number that we've had at a Grand Prix. And it was at one of the, really one of the smallest venues, if you look at it in terms of the area of camping and parking that's available. And they did it seamlessly. It didn't even seem like there were that many people there. No issues to speak of. The course held up uh, with having that many riders on it. And that's a, and, you know, most people will go and race a race and go home and never even think about that part of it. You know, how difficult it is to make sure that the course doesn't deteriorate, that you don't have, you know, all of these issues that come along with that many people racing in a race. So it's really something to think about when you go and you, you pay your money to go race at a Grand Prix, everything that's going on uh, behind the scenes. And, you know, and, you know, like you said, uh, you know, clubs aren't making a ton of money at these races. Yeah, some clubs do better than others based on whatever deal they have with whatever venue they're putting on their their race at. But some clubs are lucky to make uh, you know make a few thousand bucks, uh, and that's you know for a tremendous amount of work. You know, with uh, with Atlanta, we would start talking about that race February March, you know, for a race that we're going to put on the following January. So it's a uh, it's a lot of work that goes into those events and everybody loves every second of doing it. So it's not like, Oh, if you'll feel, feel bad for them because they're working so hard, they do it because they, for the love of the sport. And that's, that's the beauty of district 37. You know, everybody volunteers their time because they just absolutely love you know, the, the sport. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, 
and and I'm starting to see this on the desert side too. And I think you know one of the the bigger things that helped the GP series was you know I mean each one of these clubs it's their race. It's not it's not NGPC's race. It's not Big Six's race. It's you know it's Dirt Diggers race or it's Prairie Dogs race. And you know they 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 change their mentality in 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 the sense that hey look yeah this is our race but you know, we got to work together and they all kind of started just working together to do things uniformly, to make things the same, but yet different. And, and then they, they started listening to the ridership, you know, ridership started saying, Hey, we want to see this, or why do you guys do this? Why don't you do it this way? And the more they did that, the better this thing has gotten. And, and yeah, I mean, they don't, they don't, you know, their, their revenue from it is, is not big and they're not doing this as a business to make a profit. They're doing it to make, you know, like any of the clubs and districts, Hey, I just, we need to make enough to be able to put this on again next year and, and then have a Christmas party for your club or, you know, a summer party or something like that, jerseys, whatever. And I'm starting to see that the, the desert clubs are starting to do this too. And it's really starting to help. And, you know, that that Prairie Dogs race at twenty three oh six. I mean, what you don't see as a as a rider on the outside, most people don't anyway, is the huge amount of stress that those guys were under. I mean, <laughs> their their normal average was like sixteen seventeen hundred. Now you're talking about six hundred more. <laughs> it's it's a lot, you know. Those guys are. They're on each other's nerves, but they get it done, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, and, but, but I think any clubs like that and, you know, it's part of what makes, you know, like our tagline says, you know, district 37 is the place to race. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So one thing that, uh, that grew out of, uh, out of the, the Grand Prix and big six was, a was a youth series. So, Youth races uh, and youth classes have always been a part of the Grand Prix series. And uh, 10, 12 years ago, uh, you had some desert clubs that would host a, a youth event. It wasn't a points paying event. It wasn't a series. It was just, uh, you know, I think some of the clubs looked at it like, hey, you know, we've got, you know, everybody's coming out here to race the race. Let's do something for the kids. Well, we kind of took all that stuff and, lumped it together and decided to make a series out of it. Hey, let's, uh, let's try and legitimize the series. And I remember when we first started that, if we got 30 youth riders at a, at a youth race, man, we thought we were cutting a fat hog. We were really doing something. And now we're averaging a hundred. We've had youth races in the, and this is in the desert. We've had youth races in the desert that had 120 kids coming to race a youth race. So the youth series has become a legitimate series. Uh, I don't think it's unrealistic to think that in the next year or two, we could see a couple hundred kids racing in youth events. But that, you know, Hey, that's what we're shooting for. We wanted to get that to get it to those numbers. So it was a legitimate series, but along with that comes some responsibility along with that series, you know, both from the clubs that are hosting those events and the, and the kids and the parents that are coming to those races. Um, it's not just a, a free-for-all anymore. It's a legitimate series, and it needs to be treated as such. 
uh, by the host clubs and by the participants and their parents and crew members. So we've, we've noticed that we start having some growing pains as is the case with anything that, that, uh, that we start in it and it exceeds our expectations. So, so if you are a club that's hosting a youth event or a youth rider or the parent of a youth rider, uh, expect that as the, as the year progresses and we move into 2022, that we're going to start, uh, we're going to start because we have to, uh, really, uh, defining some rules of what the, those races should be, what you can and can't do with those races. Um, not to say that anything's going wrong, uh, but as is the case with anything, if you, if you, if you ignore it until it's a problem, then you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Um, well, I think that's a good point. I mean, the longer, the longer you go before you address it, the harder it becomes to fix, you know, and, you know, like you said, growing pains, right? I mean, we've seen the youth, we've seen the youth side on the desert side and the GP side basically double. I mean, they're, you know, the, the desert's approaching nine, almost a hundred youth racers per event, you know, and, and the GPs are getting between the two days, you know, a little over 200 and, you know, Hey, when it grows that fast, you're, you're going to have growing pains and there's going to be things that get missed and things that have to be addressed. And you know, I said this before, that's why it's important for you guys to get feedback as a district 37 member, you know, so we know what we're, what we're missing. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I we probably didn't share from the, from the very beginning of the mission statement of that, of the youth series in the, in the desert anyway. Uh, and I'm sure it's the same for the Grand Prix was to prepare youth racers for an adult race. Um, it's, it's a little different in the desert than it is in the Grand Prix because, you know, with the Grand Prix, youth racers are, are they're graduating from a youth race to, to an adult style race that virtually looks the same, a little longer course, perhaps. Um, but the, but the rules and the competition are pretty much the same, uh, in the desert when it was just a youth event, it was just kids riding around on a very shortened course, nothing too terribly challenging. And they would ride those things and then they would, they turn 12 and they could ride an adult race and they would go ride the first loop of, of an adult race. And then they would never ride a desert race after that. So we, so the purpose of, of what we were trying to do was to make the youth races in the desert a little more difficult. So the transition from being a youth racer to an adult racer wasn't so drastic. Uh, and we only looked at it at that time in the perspective of how difficult the courses should be. But <clears throat> along with that, it's also all of the rules that go along with racing an adult desert race. And we never really thought that we had to implement any of those rules. Uh, it, it never occurred to us. Uh, you know, a youth, a youth desert event for the most part is the same as a, a Euro scramble. And for an allotted period of time. Uh, so, you know, we're, I know that there has been some interest uh, from some kids and some parents uh, in, 
and like doing more of a desert style, a scramble or hare and hound style youth event. Uh, and I know that you know, some people express some interest in wanting to participate in that and, and lay it out, which would probably help kids really get prepared for, for a, an adult style desert race. But there are rules to go along with that, like where you can pit and how all those things work and what kind of assistance you can get in the desert and, and so on and so forth. So those are the types of things that we're talking about. We kind of need to uh, clean up the rules and, and uh, you know, we just didn't know, you know, and, and those are good problems to have, you know. Right. And I think it's important, Brian, for us to clarify this. This is an issue on our end as a district, not because of something that the youth have done or not done. It's just it's just grown so much that all these things have come to light and there are things that we have to clarify. And oh, yeah, for sure. You know, easier to understand. I know you and I talked about it, you know, earlier today, like. I mean, I've been part of district for 20 years. I don't, I don't know all the district rules. I, I I know some of them. I mean, I have a book, but I don't, I don't know them all. And, and I think that's, I think that's the common factor with all of the ridership we have. Most, the majority of the people don't know all the rules. Yeah. And I mean, who, who does, you know, no. and- yeah. Right. Who does? <laughs> yeah. And, and we're going to touch on, on rules a little bit later. Uh, but you know, most of the rules that are in the rule book were written a long time ago, uh, you know, for whatever racing was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Uh, some of the rules were written very loosely or they were intentionally vague to allow for the sport to grow. Uh, so you've got all of those things and, you know, whatever rules are, implemented today are completely reactionary to whatever's happening at the time, you know, based on what rules were written 20 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever, whenever they were. So, and again, we'll hit on that uh, a little later. It's, it's one of our, one of our topics for a little further down the road. Um, but, you know, we wanted to, we were recapping a little bit on everything that's happened up until this point. So I know that uh, one of the, one of the things that you and I have been getting hit up uh, the most about are trophies for the 2019 uh, season. So let's talk about that real quick. I guess I'll talk about that real quick. Cause I, cause I kind of know what 2019 or, or 2020. Tw- I'm sorry, 2020, the, the year of COVID because <laughs> we're in 2021 now. So it's the 2020 season. Well, Hey, you yeah. could, we could always argue that 21 is the year of COVID too, because to be honest, COVID took away and now COVID is actually given back because yeah. the series are all up in numbers. So, Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. So, uh, so what we generally do is we have a big awards banquet. Um, a few years ago, we decided to, to not do an awards banquet and change the awards banquet from a, from a banquet to a, to a ride day. Uh, we did it at Glen Helen and all the stewards, uh, it was business as usual, like we would normally do. And they handed out awards and had a, had an individual award ceremony for each of the different disciplines and classes. Uh, we did it in the museum at Glen Helen. It seemed to be something that was, you know, was really uh, a success. Most of the riders really enjoyed it. Uh, it was an opportunity for everybody to get together. And so after then we did that in 2019. So we decided we were going to do that again in 2020 and then COVID and COVID COVID has just, 
affected so many different things in so many different ways. So we were, were still able to do a ride day. But after talking to a lot of the stewards that we were leading up to that, many of them were concerned uh, about the personal contact and interaction that they would have with the ridership, uh, handing out trophies uh, rider to rider. So what we decided to do was that we were going to go ahead and, and not hand out trophies at that event. We were going to order trophies for everybody and then figure out how we were going to get the trophies to the riders. So, so that was the first part of it. So it delayed us getting the trophies. Um, then we decided to change uh, companies that we got trophies from. Uh, we wanted to spruce things up a little bit and do something a little different. Uh, so we went with a different company and then that company changed ownership. So we, we are getting trophies through MX trophies and MX trophies has changed ownership since the last time we bought a few trophies from them. So what I can say now is that all of the trophies for every series have been ordered. Um, and it was a little bit of work because uh, what you see on their website uh, is not still available. That was stuff that was available uh, from the old ownership. So uh, Lisa was working with them and she had to really do a lot of arm twisting to get them to make some of the trophies that we wanted them to make so that the trophy that you get is something that you know, you're going to look at and you're going to go, wow, that's really badass. So, but all the trophies have been ordered and we will make sure that all the trophies are in the hands of the stewards to distribute however they see fit uh, before we come back from summer break. That's from youth series to all the desert series to the Grand Prix series. So I know a lot of people have been asking, um, hopefully this, this podcast reaches as many people as possible. So they kind of know what's going on. Uh, and, uh, we can, and I know that for in 2022, uh, the awards we give out for 2021, we're going to have a full fledged awards banquet. We're working on something a little different with it, with the possibility of a different venue and, and something that we're working on. Um, once we get it uh, locked down, we'll make a huge uh, announcement, but we're, we're hoping that by the time we get to 2022, we're, we're done with all this COVID nonsense and we can all get together and enjoy the awards ceremony banquet, whatever we decide to do, just like we have in years past. Yeah. We have, we haven't forgotten about you guys. I know, I know you might think that we have, but, but we haven't, it's just, it's, been, it's just been a little bit of a difficulty, but we got it figured out. Yeah. And we 100% appreciate everybody's patience and understanding. It's just crazy times. So it's time for us to take a little break uh, in the middle of our podcast uh, and thank the people that uh, support us. So support for the Wide Open Podcast is provided by Rad Custom Graphics. Rad Custom Graphics is your one-stop shop for bike graphics, vehicle wraps, shirts, hats, and just about anything you can dream up to promote your business or sporting association. Scott, does this sound very professional? Yeah, it sounds like you read it off his website. <laughs> if, I, if it's not on his website, he should put it on his website. Uh, if you're looking to take your business to the ne next level or you're looking for that one-of-a-kind graphics kit that will set you apart from the pack. So basically what I'm saying is if you have to have flashy graphics like I have on my bike because you can't beat anybody, <laughs> reach out to Rad Custom Graphics at radcustomgraphics.com. That's radcustomgraphics.com. Okay, 
and I wrote that copy. So if you are in the advertising business and you, you need someone to write copy, I'm the guy that you need to call all bullshit aside. Listen, Ryan's the man and from time to time, he can be difficult to get a hold of, but there's no one that supports district 37 more than Ryan does. Uh, every t-shirt that you see that district 37 has, uh, all the hats, uh, most of the clubs with the stuff that they have, uh, that they're promoting their club. That all came from Ryan. Ryan is one of the hardest working guys that I've ever met. Uh, he, and he truly cares about what it is that he's doing for you. He grew up in district 37 and we in district 37, we are 100% about, Hey, support the guys that support you and support those that grew up here. So I can't recommend him strongly enough. Yeah. He he's, he's definitely a good guy. Definitely a good guy. And yeah, go, go see him if you can. Uh, on top of that, you know, we've got, uh, we've got Nick McBride and, and flow vision goggles. Uh, this, you know, Nick is a former pro racer who knows what riders expect. And he's, he's built a, a quality goggle that will do everything that you need to do. Um, he offers goggles, he offers tear offs, he offers, um, roll offs when, when the weather is, is muddy. Uh, he's got sunglasses, he's got apparel, um, and that apparel also goes through a rad custom graphics. So, you know, you're getting the quality when you get something from him and go, go check them out. He's not at the desert races as much, but he is at all the GP races, uh, either him or Carl, and you can find him at flowvisionco.com. Again, that's flowvisionco.com. Thank you, Scott. You need a, you need a job in, uh, you should be a commentator. One of those guys does voiceover work. But by the way, just so you know, so we're clear, uh, I didn't write any of that down. I just winged it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Even better. Okay. So let's move on to a section that we're going to, you know, we're going to put this since we're winging it for this first time of us doing this together. We're going to call this section district gossip. Okay. So this is the part where they, hate us even more than they do now Well, probably this is the part where i take everything all the gossip that i've heard and we set it straight so let's uh everybody's been taught or i'm sure you've heard about it let's talk about it the new rider rescue dun 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 Ooh. yes yeah. hey okay. by the way before you get into that go over to facebook now um jerry's got a poll going for the new name of the uh, district so go over there and vote. It's uh, it's the District 37 rescue page. It's easy to find. Go there, vote for the name that you want, or add a name that you think would be better, and put something in the comments. Perfect. So the name of this podcast this is the Wide Open Podcast. I'm not going to pull any punches. We're just going to throw it out there, and you know, no, no point in uh, you know trying to sugarcoat it now. Uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, uh, rescue three, uh, rescue three leadership thought that it was, uh, important for them to move in a direction of trying to make sure that they were servicing events that was, that were going to bring in the most amount of money, uh, to keep rescue three afloat. Can't, can't fault them for that. Um, I'd had many conversations over the past couple of years about, uh, I was a little concerned at what I considered to be, uh, a light turnout from rescue three at district 37 events. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I was worried about how I was going to explain that to the ridership when part of your entry fee goes to pay for that. Um, I was told that uh, it was difficult for Rescue 3 to come to District 37 races when 
when hardly anybody came to a District 37 race and it cost them money to come to come to the race. Again, understandable. Um, I took that as a challenge. Uh, there was a dollar amount that was thrown out there that uh, they have to make this much money to cut uh, in order to make it worthwhile. I did the simple math on how many entries I thought uh, it would take uh, for it to be a viable option for Rescue 3 to come to District 37 races. Uh, and I'm proud to say that uh, with the hard work that we've done, that we raised entries to the point where it became something that was worthwhile for Rescue 3 to come to those races. Unfortunately, Rescue 3 uh, had committed to servicing car truck races and some other stuff. So it, it forced them to split uh, the resources that they had between the events that they committed to uh, away from district and then whatever was happening at district. Uh, as we uh, came to the end of the 2020 season, uh, we had some issues uh, with the BLM. And so what is, uh, we had some issues with the BLM that, that uh, created some problems for clubs moving forward uh, in terms of rescue. So what's written in the SRP, and for those of you that don't know what the SRP is, that's the standard race package. It's, uh, there are rules set forth by the BLM that, uh, that District 37 helped write, uh, and it's what every club agrees that they're going to do at their race. And in that, uh, it states that, for, uh, that you have to have an EMT on site for every 25 miles of race course that you lay out. So really, this affects hare and hounds. Um, this this kind of put us in a panic, you know, because we're this was at the end of 2020. We're going into 2021. Uh, Checkers had been heavily promoting their hare and hound uh, as the first race of the year, as was DMC, and we were faced with the problem of Rescue Three not being able to. Let me so let me back up a little bit. The BLM had always. Uh, kind of looked at uh, the clubs as being able to fulfill those requirements uh, with uh, your ambulance, uh, which would have an EMT on board, and then Rescue 3. Uh, so when it was, uh, when BLM realized that Rescue 3 didn't necessarily have the EMTs that were required in the, in the SRP, it became an issue for the clubs. And it was suggested that I tell uh, the clubs, that the solution to this was that they hire three ambulances with EMTs and have even the slightest bit of knowledge on the finances of how, to, how a club works. That's just a losing effort. So I asked Jerry Grabo to, uh, to help fix this problem. And Jerry took a tremendous amount of heat that he didn't deserve uh, because he did what I asked him to do. And he reached out to IRRC. IRRC has volunteers that volunteer with their organization that have EMTs. And we were able to satisfy the requirement that was required by the BLM without it being a tremendous cost to the club. So we reached out to Checkers and DMC and told them that we had this option in place if they wanted to use it. Uh, they, of course, they wanted to because it made sense for them financially. Uh, and so they went that direction all the while behind the scenes, we were working on trying to find a way that district 37 could, could start its own rider rescue service. I had, uh, more than a, 
couple of conversations with Sherry Kibbe, who has been working with Rescue 3 for who knows how long. She's the comforting voice that you hear over the radio uh, whenever you're in trouble. And she's the one that organizes the resources for Rescue 3. So it was a smooth transition. Uh, I, I presented it to Sherry that, hey, I think that we, it would probably be the best in the best interest of the district if we started our own rescue service. But I was only interested in doing it if Sherry agreed to run it uh, and she had to be able to have the freedom to run it her way. Uh, she gave us some thought. It wasn't like she just said yes right away. She gave us some thought, wanted to make sure that it was a commitment that she was willing to make and that it was something that she could do and, and that she could service the ridership the way that she thought was necessary. Uh, after her giving it some thought, uh, she agreed. And so we decided from that point moving forward that we were going to uh, throw our support behind a, a district backed or district funded or district owned, however you want to look at it, uh, rider rescue service. And so this weekend or last weekend at hundreds was the, was the debut of the district 37 rider rescue service. And as Scott said, it's over on, uh, on Facebook right now. It's a, uh, since that district service belongs to the district ridership, Sherry thought it was very important that the district ridership decide what the name of it should be. So let's talk about why I just said that it belongs to the district ridership. When we talk about District 37, District 37 is made up of, of the clubs and everybody who holds a District 37 card. It's not me. It's not Scott, it's not Jerry, it's not Guy or Sherry or anybody else that holds a district position. I own just as much of District 37 as Scott does and as every other card-carrying District 37 member does. So what that means is, is that the District 37 Rider Rescue belongs to every single rider who, who buys a district card. And every rider who who signs up for an event and pays their entry fee contributes to that, to that rider rescue service. So if your entry fee is $56, I think is what an entry fee is. We voted a couple of years ago that $4 from every entry would go towards rescue three. And so what we've done is we've changed that. Now $4 of every entry goes towards the rider rescue service and it goes in a fund that's, that's managed by district. So it's completely transparent. It's reported on at every, or will be reported on at every district meeting, just like the general fund is and the legal defense fund and the riders helping riders fund. It will be reported on every month and everybody that enters a race, $4 of your entry fee goes into that fund to help support the rider, the rider rescue service. It's what, uh, if we can't get volunteers, it's what helps to pay for the people who, uh, go out there and spend the day and help with their fuel. It pays for the side-by-sides, the maintenance on the side-by-sides, the rescue, you know, any first aid equipment. Um, it's 100% funded by, by entry fees. And here's the beauty of that service. No matter who is in charge of it, whoever's running it, if someday Sherry's not running it anymore, no matter who's president of district, that rider rescue service will always be the District 37 rider rescue service. There will never be any question about where that rider rescue service is going to be when a District 37 race is being held. It will be at a District 37 race. There will never be a conflict. 
there will never be a conflict about is it does it need to go someplace else to make money it will always be here so whenever you go to a district 37 race you know without a doubt 100 percent that that rider rescue service will be here in district 37 servicing the district 37 riders without fail so that's why we decided uh to make the move that we did um and i just wanted to give a little history lesson on where we were and how we got to where we are. And, and again, this is, it belongs to you. Uh, the district writer, if you're listening to this podcast and you hold a district card, you own part of that service. And so, you know, just like Scott said earlier, if you've got questions, you've got comments, you want to see something you have, there are so many opportunities to reach out and give your, give your opinion on uh, or, or suggestions on what you'd like to see us do how you'd like to see that service uh, serve you better. Um, so Scott, can you think of anything that I might've missed on uh, kind of explaining it? No, I, I, I think that's, I think that's a good explanation and I'm sure there'll be more questions and, and, you know, Sherry and yourself will be around to answer that. I think, I think it's important for people to understand that this this whole new direction for districts simply comes out of our uh, concern for your safety as a rider. And, it, and it's simply that it has nothing to do with, you know, with rescue three or th- anybody involved in that they have a business, they needed to go a different direction. And, and you as president of the district and, and Sherry and other officials, you know, felt it was necessary that we had the coverage that we needed to have and that's why we're making the change it's it's that simple it's it's nothing else other than that it's all about your guys's safety as our ridership as a district member as well as my own when i'm racing or you or anybody else <laughs> you said when you're racing <laughs> well let's look look for for anybody that's listening to this um, if you're not aware of the Beat Nassif, Beat Perkins uh, racing program, I'll, I'll make it simple, and then there'll be no, there's no undenying this. I've taken a break from racing because I felt that it was necessary for Brian to have some glory and actually win <laughs> some races um, and have some better finishes than me. Uh, but you know that that time is coming to an end. And so my suggestion to you, Brian, is enjoy it now um, because Bring it. It, it's going to change. And based on what I know about your race prep, um, I'm pretty confident in the fact that I won't lose. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think this, this thing's great. And, you know, kudos to, Car- or to Sherry for, for taking on this responsibility. I mean, it's you know, she's got a regular job and, and this on top of it, and it's going to be a lot of work for her. So, you know, kudos to her for wanting to take this on. And, and, and before I forget, you know, kudos to Lori Anderson, you know, we talked about the youth program earlier and she's, she's been a big part of that too. And, and, and it's growth and, you know, there's, there's always people to thank and those are two of the people for sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay, continuing under the uh, the gossip uh, topic. Woo. Yeah, let's talk about uh, new rules. So I hear rumors 
people love to call me and tell me so on, you know, this is happening and that's happening. Right. When it's, just when remember, it's, yeah. just so everybody knows, right? Rumors are unsubstantiated facts. So, yes, for sure. So it's just that a rumor. So uh, let's talk about new rules and how they're, how they're made and so on and so forth. So uh, it is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out there. This, this may, this may just come as a total shock to a lot of people. I don't make rules. I don't get, I don't get to make rules. I don't even get to suggest rules. Okay. Rules for district 37, whether it's the addition of a new rule, the changing of an existing rule, uh, the deletion of an existing rule. All of that comes from the competition committee, which is headed up by the referee and he doesn't get to make suggestions and he doesn't get to vote. Uh, new rules, uh, whether it's the addition of a rule, deletion of a rule, uh, revision you know, of a rule, revision of a rule, any, anything that has to do with the rules, it comes 100% from suggestions from the ridership or clubs to the stewards who make up the competition committee. Then they then go to the comp committee or, or it, it's comp, the competition committee is open to the public. Uh, it's been a little weird with COVID because they're doing it via Zoom. But if you reach out to your steward or the referee, they will send you the link. It is open to everybody. You can participate in the competition committee. You can, if you are familiar with the rule book, you don't even have to be familiar with the rule book. Just something that you think, just common sense that we should be doing this or not doing that. You can make in the competition committee. The competition committee will then discuss it. They will vote on it. They will either decide that, yeah, it's a good idea or no, it's not a good idea. And then what the competition committee does is they bring those, uh, those rule changes or those proposed rule changes to the off-road room. Now, there are different kinds of rules. There are standing rules, and then there are changes to the bylaws, and then there are just regular rules. So changes to the standing rules require three readings and then a vote. Uh, other other uh, rules uh, require a two-thirds majority, uh, and I think uh, changes to the bylaws also require a uh, three readings and then a vote. Okay, but whatever the competition committee proposes as a rule change then goes to the off-road room which they discuss it and then they vote on it now generally what happens is throughout the course of the year the competition committee will uh, take suggestions on proposed rule changes and they will they will collect them vote on them throughout the course of the year and then in november they will bring all of the proposed rule changes that they've talked about or voted on to the off-road room and we'll have a very long meeting and they will go through those rules one by one, uh, the proposed rule changes. And if anybody uh, in the off-road room uh, opposes a rule change that the competition committee is proposing to, to change, they can say that they oppose it and then the off-road room will vote. So the off-road uh, room has the opportunity to, to, overturn or overrule a rule change made by uh, made by the competition committee. So if, and so, so all of these discussions happen in the off-road room every month and in the off-road room, each club is represented by two uh, representatives from each club. 
And they are charged with the responsibility of sitting through those very long meetings, taking notes on what it is that happens in those meetings, and then going back and reporting to their club uh, what was talked about in the meeting. Uh, when I was the president of SoCal, I also participated in the off-road meetings as a representative and then some other positions that I held within district. And I would go back to the SoCal meetings and I would listen to our club representatives report on what uh, they heard in the in the meeting. And I often wondered what meeting they were at because it was completely different than whatever it was that was talked about at the meeting. Um, so I've heard uh, lately that uh, that we have changed the rules that say that district officials don't have to be in a club. That's not the case. Um, this is going, I'm sure, going to come up in the August meeting. Uh, we don't have a meeting in July. Uh, as many of you know, I used to be a member of SoCal MC. I am no longer a member of SoCal MC, and I am currently not in a club. Uh, there were a number of us that were members of SoCal and, and then uh, were not members of SoCal. Everybody except for myself has joined another club. Um, I'm still searching. Uh, so the, when I was no longer a member of SoCal MC, I'm just being honest. Okay? When I was no longer a member of SoCal MC, I went to the off-road uh, committee, uh, off-road body, and I asked them to give me six months to find another club. Uh, they graciously agreed. Six months uh, comes up in July, but we're not having a meeting. So in August, I intend to bring it up to the to the room. If I have not... I will ask for some more time or I will ask the off-road room what they, what they propose to do. So the rule has not changed. Um, I have also heard some rumors uh, that the off-road room has uh, made some decisions on what constitutes a club member and how old you have to be to, to be a club member. And, and this all stems from some very loose rules that we have and unclear rules we have on when a, when is a when is somebody a club member? How old do they have to be to be a club member? And again, uh, just to go back to what we talked about before, the off-road room does not make those decisions. Those decisions are made in the comp room, and I have not heard anybody talk about it in the comp in the comp room. And it would be extremely difficult for the for for District Thirty Seven uh, as the overseeing body to say. This is what constitutes uh, a club member because we don't each club has their own bylaws on what constitutes you as a club member. Correct. So we don't know. Well, I don't know like what you're 12. If you're 12 years old, you're a club member. If you're 18, you're a club member. We don't know. You know, and it's not it's none of our business. Whatever club you're in, that's their business. Uh, I know that it is something that uh, the competition committee has been talking about. They do know that there's something that they it's something that they need to address. So that we can kind of kind of clean this up, so that we don't have these issues moving forward. And it's, you know, this is not something new. It is something that has popped up. You know, it pops up every couple of years, and it's probably something that needs to be cleaned up. It's not my place to say what the rule should be or what it shouldn't be. Uh, I'm not. That's not my room. I don't. I don't oversee that room. But I have every confidence in Guy and the stewards that they will. They'll get it figured out. Uh, so that we can move forward. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think for us, rules are you know a clarification thing, you know. Um, and and you and I talked about this earlier. Is you know most people don't know what the rules are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so many rules. Sorry about that. Had a little bit of an issue on my end. Are we out there feeding birds in your backyard? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, actually, I've been on a walk for a little bit of this. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's hot in my house. It's actually cooler outside than, than it is inside. But, you know, rules are important, guys. I mean, plain and simple. And I think when it comes to you know, participating in any organization, you know, know what, know what the rules are. And, you know, it's easy to find there's rule books that get handed out at the beginning of the year. There's, you know, a website that has the rules on it. You've got a website that has your uh, stewards on it. You can always contact them for it. Um, it's just, just know the rules. And, and in a lot of cases, knowing the rules makes things, a lot simpler for for everyone for you um, for the off-road room you know for the comp committee you know and and understand that and this is i'll point this out brian you and i talked about it earlier but every every organization has for us as ama rules because we're ama sanctioned but also within those ama rules especially when it comes to the big six or NGPC, they're supplemental rules. So you, you gotta, you gotta remember to read those supplemental rules to make sure that you're in compliance with what you're trying to do. And if you can do that, then things will be a lot easier for you on a regular basis. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, I, I think uh, just we'll touch just one quickly, one more thing on the rules. Okay. Anybody, anybody, if you're a district 37 member, can make a proposal to, to add a rule, change a rule, revise a rule, delete a rule. It's not just district officials. If you, if you have a rule book and you're reading through the rule book and you see something that doesn't apply or it's changed or it's outdated, by all means, it's, it's, it's your right. To, to go to a competition committee meeting or, or even just reach out to one of the stewards, uh, one of the writers at large that also sits on those uh, sits in the competition committee or the referee himself and say, Hey, I saw this rule. I would really, you know, I, can you guys please revisit this? And this is why it is, it's your district. It's it, that rule book is meant to be a, a, a growing and flowing thing for the times. So, you know, it's a, uh, I hate the fact that we even have to have a rule book, but you know, it's, but you have to, you just, yeah, you, just you have to. And, yeah. and, and I'm sure people are, are thinking about this. You know, you, you mentioned that, you know, everything's done through club and club reps in an off-road room and a, in a comp committee room. Um, if you're not a member of a club, but you're racing district, how, how can you bring your suggestion to that off-road room? Well, everybody has the opportunity so that those meetings are open to everybody. And anybody who is a who holds a District 37 card has a voice in, in either one of those rooms. So you can either go to one of the meetings. It can be an off-road meeting or a competition committee meeting. Bring up your concerns. So if you go to an off-road meeting, let's say you have something that's a concern of yours, you'd like to see it 
looked at by the competition committee, you can, uh, you can shoot me an email, a text, call me or, or Sherry Kibbe, who's the secretary, get yourself on new business and state your case. Uh, and just say, hey, I think we should look at this rule. I think it should be changed to this. Can we please just look at that? Um, and and that starts the ball rolling. If you don't want to go to the off-road room, you can certainly you can reach out to any of the stewards. It doesn't have to be your steward necessarily. Uh, any of the stewards, the referee, or any of the rider repres- or any of the riders at large that uh, participate in the competition committee, and they will take it to that room and they'll discuss it. So you have a voice. Everybody has a voice uh, to, to make whatever changes you think are necessary. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to get changed. Everybody's going to talk about it. Uh, I've been doing this for a little while. Sometimes it's very difficult to, uh, to change minds and to get things through uh, the off-road room. Uh, what I do know is if it's something that you're very passionate about, um, Presenting it one time probably isn't going to get it done unless it's just something that's very common sense. Um, if it's something that requires some thinking and convincing and, you know, you're going to have to go to a couple of meetings and keep stating your case. Uh, you know, it's like anything, the squeaky wheel gets, gets greased. So, but everybody has a voice. It's, it's your district. We just right now are the rep are happen to be the representatives for district and and someday somebody else will do it, but everybody has a voice. Now those meetings, those off-road meetings are the first Thursday of every month. Um, Before this pandemic stuff, they were held at uh, Brea high school right there off of the 57 and Lambert. Um, Supposedly the mask rule is no longer in effect as of tomorrow. So going forward, do we know if we're going to be back in that meeting room once a month or are we still on Zoom? Um, We haven't had a conversation with the school district. Uh, Everybody seems to be handling this a little different regardless of what uh, the governor is saying. Uh, No one, you know, no one knows what the hell they're doing. So uh, it seems like school districts are operating with an abundance of caution. So it, it, I don't, in all honesty, I don't see us being able to get back to an in-person meeting, at least at the school this year. That doesn't mean that we're not looking for other places that we can have an in-person meeting. I I am 100% an in-person meeting guy. I think that uh, a lot more gets done when you can uh, look at each other face-to-face than on the Zoom meetings. Um, I'm trying real hard to find a place for us to have an in-person meeting in August, I just don't know if it's going to be at the school. Okay, so so going forward, we'll have that information out on our our media sites and websites of when we go back to in person meetings and where those are going to be at. Yes, for sure. Okay, cool. Okay, well, I think we've touched on everything. Uh, this is the part of the podcast where we we come to come to the conclusion, but we want to leave you a cliffhanger so that you'll be interested in coming back to the well, next podcast. Well, before you do the cliffhanger, let's, let's talk about what's coming up. So, you know, last week in the sprint enduro was the last race before the summer break for uh, the district desert side. Um, that was the hundreds. So now we've got a little, we've got a little bit of break. We come back uh, Saturday, September 4th. 
Um, that'll be the Checkers MC's uh, dual European scrambles. And then uh, September 18th will be Hilltoppers MC Sprint Enduro. And September 19th, the following day, will be the Vikings MC Sprint Enduro. So you've got Hilltoppers and Vikings teaming up to do, you know, two races in one weekend. So that's pretty cool. Uh, on the Big Six uh, NGPC side, uh, they're off until uh, August 21st and 22nd. And they'll come back then in Preston, Idaho. And then uh, after that, there's no races, no GP races, actually, in the month of September at all. So you get a little bit of a break again and then uh, back to uh, back to Ridgecrest. You know, we didn't get to have Ridgecrest last year because of this pandemic stuff. And and so I'm. I'm stoked that uh, Viewfinders was able to make that happen again, and we'll be back there, and it's a fun place to race. Yeah, I dig racing there. I missed it last year. Yep. Now, now, now. drop your big – who's the who, – so let me ask. <laughs> who is our first big guest two weeks from now? Okay, first, uh, first guest two weeks from now is going to be uh, – uh, factory Honda rider, uh, Dakar champion, Ricky Brabeck. So, wow. Yeah, Ricky's agreed to come and sit down, uh, sit down with us uh, and talk about, uh, talk about Ricky and his life as, a, as an off-road racer, uh, how he got to where he is now uh, from his humble beginnings as, uh, as a kid just racing in district uh, and everything that uh, all the hard work that it took for him to get to where he is now, what it is that he's doing day to day and what his plans are for the future. Uh, I got a chance to hang out with him a little bit at the Sprint Enduro. And I got I to gotta tell you this. We'll bring it up uh, when we talk to him. So Ricky came out there, and he brought a couple of bikes with him. I rode over to go talk to him for, for a few minutes and, and ask him if he would be on the podcast. And I, and I rolled up, and the first thing he says to me, he's like, he's all, wow, you're riding the Gen 1X. <laughs> and he went out there and kicked ass. He had his old, his old Gen 1X, and he kicked ass on that bike. Uh, it was so impressive to watch him. Uh, race uh and and let's let's bring that up too when we talk to him because i i hear that from from you just now with ricky i've heard it from from nick garvin mike garvin you know honda's changed their bikes and there are still some of those older versions of those hondas that those guys would rather race and and i'd like to know why what what what's so different about that versus now and what's what's the advantage or disadvantage so so write that down somewhere and let's remember that well yeah well i for sure will because i want all the tips i can get it was funny because i went over there and was uh, he he had brought he had a brand new rx and he had uh his gen 1x and i have an 18 rx and so he and he knows that i have that 18 so he asked he says you you've got the 18 right I said, yeah. And he's like, I had an 18 too. How do you like yours? I said, I just really having a lot of trouble, you know, getting comfortable on it. And, uh, he said, yeah, I had a lot of trouble too. He's and so he told me sit on his new one, which I did. And it felt a lot more comfortable, the ergonomics of the bike and everything they had done to it made it feel a lot more comfortable, but it was, it was super light, like really, really light. And, uh, so I asked him, I said, so how, you know, how does this thing compare to the to the old bike or to the old X being as light as it is. He said, I don't know. I'll let you know after I ride it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so clearly he likes the, the older X. And, and I think, you know, from 
talking to the well, well obviously ask Ricky who knows way more than I do and you know I'm just some jackass talking about you know a motorcycle I ride it's just that big heavy ass bike that you, sometimes it's a little more comfortable pounding it through rocks uh but if I could figure out how to make mine go the same way his goes then I'd uh, we'd be having a whole different podcast probably <laughs> uh yeah probably but yeah that's cool I mean that's you know that's something I'd certainly like to to know and and I've got I'll put some questions together for him but Speaking of questions for him, since we're two weeks away from that, um, we do, I know this is new. Do we have an email set up yet that we can you can give out so people can listen to this podcast and they can send questions that they'd like for us to ask Ricky? Yeah, we sure do. If you have any questions that you want to ask Rick, Ricky or any questions just in general, uh, whether it's about district or direct questions for Scott or myself, uh, you can go to our Instagram page uh, and go ahead. And the Instagram page is uh, is uh, at Wide Open Podcast on Instagram, or you can email me uh, at uh, superbnasif at aol dot com. Um, we're trying to get one set up specifically for the podcast, but I've got about thirty two emails right now, so I got to get rid of a couple other ones so I <laughs> can put this new one in. Um, but again. Uh, if you want to reach out to us with any you know comments, uh, questions, uh, you want us to ask Ricky some questions, you want to tell us you know you guys are a bunch of jackasses I don't want to hear anymore, whatever it is, uh, again, uh, you can DM us at, at at Wide Open Podcast on Instagram, or you can email us at superbnasif uh, at aol dot com. Hey. And if, if your email is, hey, I don't want to listen to you two jackasses anymore, please stop your podcast, please send us because we may actually read those on the podcast. We're, <laughs> we're not, we're not <laughs> shying yeah. away from anything. No, hell no. Look, I know I'm a jackass, and, and Scott knows he is one too. Together, we're just a couple of jackasses. Look, we kicked around naming the podcast a couple of jackasses or guys you love to hate. We figured we'd just stick with wide open podcast <laughs> and the uh, most, ha- the most hated <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but listen, this, uh, this will hopefully be the one and only time that it's just the two of us talking. Uh, we haven't, we wanted to roll it out and introduce it uh, with the two of us doing it together. It's been a while since we've done a podcast. So I thought it was important that we bring everybody up to speed on everything that's happening. Uh, I kind of laid low from doing the podcast with some stuff that was uh, going on personally. I wanted to make sure that I was uh, in the in the right place to be positive about what it is that we're doing. Uh, I feel like I am now, uh, and I know Scott always is a ray of sunshine. So <laughs> hopefully, between the two of us, uh, you get a little bit of enjoyment, a couple of laughs, and some knowledge uh, or information on what's happening in District Thirty Seven. Uh, so for me, I want to thank you all for listening. I can't wait to talk to you guys in a couple of weeks and, and, and I can't wait to sit down and talk to Ricky uh, and hear his incredible success story. Yeah. Hey, and before we go, uh, guys, just want to, just want to send out a get well shout out to uh district 37 rider and, and our buddy, Nick Garvin. He was injured last weekend down in Baja and he's, uh, he's on the mend and healing. He's got a little bit of a road to go, but he's, he's going to be fine. We think at this point. So, uh, get well, get well soon, buddy. Yeah. And for all of you out there, just know that he's on our short list of, uh, 
of guests that we want to have on the podcast. So we're hoping uh, within a month or so, once he's feeling a little better, uh, we'll get him on the podcast and he can tell us all about uh, exactly what it is that happened to him in Mexico, uh, what he's been up to, and what his future plans are. Sweet. All right, man. Hey, not a all bad right. start for the first one. I think so. It's happy, Scott? It's happy Monday. Yeah, Scott, thank you very much. Hey, man, thank you. All right, and to all you guys uh, out there in District 37, we will see you at the races.